Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast, a show where each week we sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing... Stargate by Roland Emmerich, Munich by Steven Spielberg, Nomadland by Chloe Zhao, Wrath of Man by Guy Ritchie, and Cruella, directed by Craig Gillespie. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, sir? How's it going, Tom? It's going well. How was your week? Busy, busy. Uh, a, a, a week uh, exciting because of seeing at least one very, very good film. Uh, okay. But uh, I feel uh, going through some of the theater releases, uh, not as hot, um, but uh, excited to talk about them nonetheless. I am excited for a few of these for sure, yeah. Yeah. But we can get right into it, if that uh, sounds good to you. we got the pleasantries out of the way. Absolutely. What do we want to start with? I think we're going to be starting with Stargate, 1994. Stargate, uh, of course, the classic movie, uh, I would say definitely in the likes of an Independence Day, a uh, Starship Troopers almost. A gem uh, of the 90s. Uh, I was interested in watching it to, uh, to see. Uh, does it hold up? I think uh, that is where my ranking for it and my rating for it lies for you, the audience, to find if these old sci-fis are worth it. I I would really like to kind of go back and almost in a series to see what holds up, what doesn't. Definitely, definitely. And Uh, I think it was, as far as the 90s go, Stargate, and then you had Independence Day was... mm -hmm three or four years afterwards, I think. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I believe same director, this didn't, too. This didn't have the following that uh, Independence Day had, though, right? No, no, I but... Mean, Independence uh, Day was unbelievable. It did spawn a series, uh, as well, far right, as, true, yeah. you know what I mean? That, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, it's obviously got, you know, sci-fi money, so... Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not really, uh, like, sci-fi the channel, so yeah, they were yeah, probably yeah. trying to fish for IPs and whatnot. <laughs> But uh, that that's primarily where my my rating of this is coming at. It's it's making sure that I can look critically at how do I see the storylines hold up uh, up against what I feel is very focused uh, science fiction in the 2010s, a la Denny Vilvenu as a director or and, and, and things like that. And how does the effects hold up? Um, I think. Stargate is still definitely on a simple pass-fail, definitely still a pass for me. It's absolutely, undeniably a 90s film. Yes, there yes is, it is a. There are, I think, a total of five sneeze jokes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, there, I mean, the, the way that they're interlacing comedy and, you know, the, the actual the stakes of what them traveling into this uh, this this portal this uh, 
it's it's going to be it's going to be what I would say has a lot of camp to it now. Uh, I think it holds up though, and the performances from Kurt Russell and um, wow, I am completely blanking. James on Spader. James Spader. Yep. How could I forget a Boston legal fame? What are you gonna do? <laughs> right. I should say probably the ultra. Is he full on Spader? Does he have his um, his ticks kind of about him? Yes, and they're playing into that. I mean, this is early performance for him. He's young. Uh, yeah, very yeah, he's young. young. Very young. To the core of what I'm trying to say, the uh, the actual practical effects in this film absolutely hold up. Almost everything is done either by superimposing it onto the screen, as, as such as the effect of the portal itself, the Stargate, mm-hmm. and a lot of physical prop work, uh, which holds up wonderfully. Uh, I think uh, I was very positive on it. I think where the film falls short, especially on rewatching it, it kind of can't make up its mind whether it wants to be this exciting science adventure uh, inspired by, you know, the discovery uh, of what they're coming across. But then they obviously have to make a movie out of it. Uh, And I feel the second half of the film when it leans into the dramatic elements, the, obviously the conflict, I think that's actually where it grows weaker for me. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I, I would say for my science fiction nerds out there, you've probably seen Stargate already. But if you haven't seen Stargate, I think it falls into a pass for me, definitely a good movie. I think it does fall short of a great movie, though. And we're going to go ahead and giving it a 68. 68%. Okay, I, don't, I was expecting maybe a little bit high. So, because Vince, um, you know, this is one of our first episodes here. So, for Vince, you would definitely say that when it comes to sci-fi films, you're maybe higher than the average. So, I know for me, if I watch this, I would be lower than a sixty-eight, probably. Sure, sure. But with westerns, we switch. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always I, in my head. I'm always thinking westerns have 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 uh, more to their name than than, right. than you would say. <laughs> Uh, six, 68, though, that's that's not bad. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think during the watch of the film, maybe... And Kurt Russell's was, great in it, right? Uh, he is, he is. Uh, I think during the watch of the film, I was even higher to it, uh, maybe even in the 70s. Sure. But, uh, yeah, like I said, I think it... It drops off a bit yeah. in Act 2 and 3. Yeah. All right, so that's 68 for Stargate. Let's move on to Munich. Let's go ahead and give the the first uh, big boy alert. Oh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, stand by. We have a big boy alert. We here. have a big boy alert. Munich uh, was something that was on my list for a long time, on both a watch list for Tom and I, I as want, well. Yeah, I would gotten to a Daniel Craig kick. Yeah, years ago. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Munich, uh, I believe, landed on my radar initially because of some of the cinematography work in the uh, the famous and almost elusive Spielberg Wonder. You know, a, a very long one take, but uh, that Spielberg uses in the films in his films, but kind of kind of blend in uh, and and you know kind of seem like it's a uh, it's an edited cut, but is, you know, in fact, a, a, a one take. Munich is a fascinating film, uh, much like we covered in probably a recent rating 
of, you know, looking at how current events kind of play into uh, an understanding and an appreciation of a film. Right. Uh, of course, the very central to this is the Munich bombing uh, in the uh, 1972 Olympics that spawns this uh, fiction film, but based off of a nonfiction event. Yeah. And in the very beginning uh, is a uh, fun spy, uh, kind of a, you know, uh, international romp. Uh, it's a long movie. It's two hours. Yeah, it's about two hours and forty-five minutes. Yeah. and it's weird. It's it's Steven Spielberg. You have Eric Bana, Daniel Craig, who at mm-hmm. the time what was in two thousand and five yeah. wasn't that big. I mean, this was pre-Bond. Yeah, and it just kind of snuck by. Mm-hmm. I know it had. I know people enjoyed it who saw it, and it kind of has mm-hmm. a small cult following a little bit. But it's like if you asked, you know. 20 people mm-hmm. to name Steven Spielberg movies. I, the vast majority of them. I got to skip w- this one. Wouldn't even realize that he came that this was a film made by him. Yeah. They wouldn't yeah. even they probably wouldn't even remember that it ever came out. Absolutely. I think even after seeing the film, besides what I was looking forward to for his cinematography mm-hmm. story-wise, doesn't seem like a Spielberg it's, story that he would pick up. And with, with Spielberg, it's just per movie, it's just a roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. It's how right. is this one going to be? Right, and right. I mean, you see, because some of Spielberg stuff is just not that. Hmm. Right, right. Um, but anyway, so it's two hours and forty-five minutes. Uh, yes, uh, and I definitely was maybe looking at the clock uh, a little bit, but really was engaged because very early on in the film, it almost lays it's out its time. timeline uh, okay. of what you know the checklist of what needs to be done. Um, Does it start off quick? You said it was it. it, it I think it starts off explosive in the sense that the very first scene is the the uh, the hostage plot of uh, 1972. Okay, uh, and that then spawns everything. Okay. so you're kind of uh, spiked at this this first moment, and really interesting how it's layered to almost kind of jump around uh, in how that was structured, uh, and then really focus on what the event is going to spawn in this fiction story rather than the you know the events itself this is not like an argo right right this is not like a you know a bio type pick of a of a hostage situation real event rather this is a you know a, a story that is inspired by those events and trying to tell uh, a world of espionage between Israel and Palestine. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning uh, is is paced uh, energetically. I thought almost I was going to be knocking it for how mismatched I feel the intensity of the film and the narrative was with how almost happy-go-lucky it was. Uh, it it kind of took me back. But the film does a wonderful balancing act of introducing you to this world, introducing the goals of the characters, uh, and then slowly you know, setting in the realization of what toll is taken on these characters mm-hmm. for this monumental task yep. and what they're ultimately you know, kind of left with. I would, in the end result, compare this more to a Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, not because of its structure or even in its topic of the story, Almost with the feeling that you're coming out of it. And I think that's important to note, especially as someone, maybe a lot of people that haven't seen Munich. Right, right. Uh, you know, where this rating comes into play and how you're coming out of watching the movie. But the pacing is still decent for two hours and 45 minutes, correct? Yes, yes. I, I, I think it's... I mean, it's, Tinker Taylor, I, I felt dragged. Yes, I think it's faster than Tinker Taylor. That my, my comment there is more so the 
the type of intrigue and unease that comes from Tinker Tailor. Gotcha, okay. Yeah. That's what kind of comes off of this. Okay. Yes. A phenomenal movie. I think uh, a, a phenomenal watch. Again, I'm always looking for something to watch kind of something that takes on a new context while watching it historically we i'm a strong believer there is no sense in watching a film and trying to say oh what was it like to sit in the theaters in while this happened in 2005 or uh, a perfect example maybe watching old sci-fi what was it like to sit in the theaters in the 70s and try to watch this film i don't think there's any point in that we're watching now you're watching whenever you happen to get around to this film and i think the narrative of this film has evolved uh, amazingly. Again, I can't stress enough that the spy beats, the noir beats uh, of the story sometimes are wonderfully aged and it's packaged in an entertaining film that leaves you kind of gutted at the end, which is which is just wonderful. Okay. Like I said, a big boy alert. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and give Munich... And 85. Wow, okay. <laughs> That's a phenomenal. That's very good. It's a good, good-ass movie. And again, this is one of our first, you know, early episode. So just want to explain to people sure. kind, of our, kind of our scale and ranking and everything like that. One of the reasons why we even started this was because of Rotten Tomatoes' ridiculous. There's no... Yeah. There's no through line there's nothing you can actually understand about Rotten Tomatoes especially when you give hundreds out as often as they do right. uh, so for us basically we take it as if something gets into the 50s it is a borderline your most basic eh film right you walk away with it forgetting about it basically mm-hmm. not that you hated it but there's nothing to like nothing mm-hmm. to hate either you're in the 60s that's a gets a good movie. Mm-hmm. If you're in the 60s that's Above a good average. movie. Stargate we have a 68% mm-hmm. right 70s you're getting into you're getting into very good movies. Yeah, um, definitely enjoyable, and that's a relatively high ranking. The reason why we're calling '85 a big boy alert and why it's such a big deal is because when you get the '80s, we consider these must-watch films. Absolutely, uh, these are movies that everyone should definitely see. Uh, that's how good they are. So to get in the '80s is kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then in the '90s, that is all-time greatest films basically ever made. We have very little mm-hmm. '90s, very few movies in the '90s because uh, that's kind of how it should be, we think. Sure. And with hundreds, you know, we don't really think there should be 100s. Because mm-hmm. if tomorrow you watch a movie that's better, what do you do? Mm-hmm. There is no 101. There mm-hmm. is no 101. You can't go higher than that. And again, it's kind of why we started this. Absolutely. Because we were bitching about Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes also at a point, and, and I think anyone... They get political too. Yeah, sure. But it, it fails as a practical tool for how you as an audience should determine whether you watch or not. Uh, I think right in our very opening, it's consistent ratings. We want to make sure that you you have a gauge on how I'm watching films, what I'm looking for, what I like to see. Uh, but uh, just because something maybe lands in a 70, you know, you maybe even think it should be higher, it's still a, a marking that it's leaning towards good. It, it's leaning towards uh, even a great movie in some cases, and that's that's where uh, we want you know it to be a practical yeah. tool as well. So, and that's why we say so. Eighty five. That's uh, that's a big deal. It's a very very good movie. You should um, make time to watch. You it. should definitely make time to watch it. It's a must see. Basically, <laughs> oh, three hours of time. Yeah. We're, yeah. <laughs> All right, so this kind of goes back. So those are two older films we have coming up. Three films that are kind of in theaters still, um, at least at the time of recording this, and. The layout of the podcast is we'll do the older films first, and then we're going to stop and do a producer segment. 
And what we want to do is actually thank our producers of this podcast. And the producers are you. We don't want to li- really look at you as listeners. You, we look at, we look at you as producers. Uh, and part of the reason is because, you know, Vin and I, like we said, we started this recently. We don't want to do ads. This isn't when we want to stop and do an underwear ad or a mattress ad, <laughs> things we don't care about, and just and just blindly promote other people's products. We want to follow the value for value model, which basically states what value did you get from our product, from our website, from this podcast, uh, and we're looking for donations. And you can go on our website, dailyratings.com, go to the donations tab, and you can give whatever amount that you want, whether it's just a few bucks, whether it's much more than that, or whether it's you know a little bit here or there and you want to do monthly. You can do set. We have a um, payment plan set up as well. And the idea is basically if you just enjoyed the podcast and what Vin has to offer, if you enjoyed the website and you find yourself going to it, if you could just kick something back to us. Um, This takes a decent amount of time to do and to set up. And we would really appreciate any support uh, from you, the producers. And if you write a little note and everything like that, what we'll do is in this segment, our producer segment, we'll say how much you donated. We'll read your note. We'll give you a shout out. If you want to be anonymous, just say, I would like to be anonymous. We won't say your name. And that's what this segment is. Uh, we're looking to grow this into something pretty great, pretty special. Mm-hmm. We want to tell I me, mean, not that it, who knows if it's going to happen. Let's take on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> right, Rotten exactly. Tomatoes is rotten. Right. Not the biggest fan. IMBDs, we don't like star systems either. It's too mm-hmm. vague, too bland. Mm-hmm. Doing best out of five basically just doesn't work that much. Uh, so anyway, so we're having fun with it. Any amount that you want to kick back to us, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. It's a value for value model. You can go to the dailyratings.com and go to the donations tab. With that, let's move on, move on to the next next batch. And again, at the time of recording this, we have these three in theaters. And let's start with Nomadland. Nomadland, uh, a very interesting film. Obviously, won Best Picture for the Oscars, and then Frances McDormand won uh, Best Actress as well. Uh, interesting film. Uh, I think definitely worth, for really what was a slow year, uh, the Best Picture nod and, and win as well because of how how much of a hybrid film it is, uh, especially if you're looking to films that have won uh, just even the year before with Parasite that blended a lot of styles and a lot of genres. Nomadland blends uh, the style of a documentary uh, with a drama uh, and does it quite elegantly, uh, including real people uh, living in a nomad, a 21st century nomad life in vans, in caravans with other nomads uh, and jumping from parts in the country and job to job, but seemingly all with their own uh, spin on why they're doing and why they're driving it. And filmed with mostly non-actors, correct? Yes, yes. I think that's definitely the the strongest part of the film. Okay. The non-actors, when they're on the screen, not only does it blur the line and make you question, are they actors, are they not? Which is kind of a, an entertaining game to watch the film in. Then I can only assume they went through a lot of going through people. I mean, they've had to sifted through hundreds, sure. if not thousands of people then. Sure. Because they're still captivating on screen. Absolutely, absolutely. Finding the stories, finding the stories that work. Um, and finding people that can actually handle sure. ha- handle a camera crew in front of you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Especially for emotional beats and, and whatnot. Yeah, sure. uh, there, there's a confidence about these people in their lives and what they do. And I think that's when the film is absolutely at its best. The documentary side is 
where I really do love this film. I think where the film falls short for me is the drama side, and not to take the best actress uh, for Frances away from her, but I feel the the story of her character, which you could really see as the backbone or the spine of the whole film that, that runs through it. I mean, she is our main protagonist. Yeah, definitely. Yep. I feel that's the weakest because her story development, her beats are interlaid through these interview sec sections with these people. So you'll have her talking and then you'll see almost her have to deliver a line of exposition or something like that tied into it. And the the real people, the you know, the, they are actors now, uh, they, they react fine to it. But it's more so a case where I feel that the the story beats they're they're not it's not that they're out of order but they're too infrequent and sometimes they're not even delivered at the most impactful time uh, and I found myself having a very hard time connecting in any sort of way with our main character other than wow she's a part of this world that is totally new to her and seemingly finding her way through it uh, with that in with that in mind, I don't think it it takes away from the the beauty of the juggling act of what it does. Much like a movie like Parasite, where you're just kind of in awe of how many different genres and feelings the film is creating throughout the ride, throughout its runtime. So I think again, a unique film uh, worth the watch, one hundred percent. And I think if you if you're looking for something to explore, if you're interested in tackling what is the award winners each year, it's going to be on your list regardless. For me, though, critically, I think the drama of the film fails a little bit for me, as interesting as what goes on is. It, it, it was it was lacking. Uh, it was lacking in a way... Felt empty a little bit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and believe me, you're waiting almost on the edge of your seat. Not that what's going on the screen is tense, but it's almost you're just waiting to... Get get something on the line for why this character is doing what she's doing, and uh, and you want some substance there, and it almost never comes, and when it does come, it's always second thought to these real people on the screen. So it just makes me curious why, you know, especially with how I impressive of a uh, of a job that is done by the director uh, to to find these people, the scouting involved uh, of this. You know, why this kind of hybrid narrative was chosen. Obviously, it won the Oscar, so, you know, yeah. she, she's proven it right. But nonetheless, I think critically looking on the film, I have to look at it as when does the novelty wear off and where does, you know, the critical outlook that I would have with any film really hit home with it. And that's what the actual, you know, performance is uh, with the actual narrative of the film. And I think that's fairly weak. So, bit of a controversial score, I would say, especially coming off of a film that's had probably the most hype out of 2020. You know, not a not a right. you know exactly a knockout year for film, but you know it did create some buzz. We're gonna go ahead and give Nomadland a 70 on the dot. 70, okay, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, not, not bad at all. And again, even just to call back to to Tom's and I's explanation of some of the rankings here, you know, it, it, it that really isn't a bad score. Maybe by, like, uh, Rotten Tomatoes or you would see in, you know, in a quick Google search, you would see a 70 and you would say that's maybe leaning towards, you know, something not worth your time. It's, if a, sh it's, a, sh it's a should watch. Exactly. Almost. 70s are a should watch. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, All right. um, Nomadland. Yeah. 
70%. Very good. All right, next one. Let's go to Wrath of Man. Uh, 180 if there ever was one. Uh, <laughs> Wrath of Man. Guy Ritchie is uh, behind the camera uh, and directing this coming off of such hits like uh, Aladdin live action and The Gentleman. Uh, and uh, yeah, Wrath of Man is a true blue action film. I would say the standout uh, for me watching this film is how the action is structured. Basically, we take a single event that is seen in the first beginning sequence of the film, uh, and it is given to you through a couple different perspectives. And then finally, once we're done understanding all the players in the game, all the stakes, the real action of the film begins. And I thought that was very creative and not something that I can remember really has been done. I feel like a lot of movies have been following the John Wick style. Uh, yeah, Gung Fu. Yeah, gun, uh, I'm sure there was Gung Fu. Nobody re- very yeah, recently, oh, I hear. Absolutely, yeah. Is, yeah. Which probably will be something that we, we watch for yeah, the ratings. Soon here, yeah, I, I think the film definitely deserves some credit with it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> If you're into 80s action films, you're probably going to love this because almost to the point of parody, the writing is feels like the first sequences of Predator. Uh, it like it is. I mean, that's very cool. <laughs> it's well, it's it's good and bad. It's good and bad. Okay, was it not delivered well? Um, I th- I I wonder if it. I mean, obviously, it has to be intentional, but it's laid on pretty thick. Let's just say that. Okay. Uh, I think if you're looking for intensity in action and then also intensity and stakes in the narrative as well this is not the movie for you it's definitely going to be something that you're going to have a lot of jokey characters and then the the action the 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 drama of the narrative kind of comes through uh, and then tones up the 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 stakes to 11 i think with that in mind for me, it just didn't land, and almost uh, almost right away kind of taken out of the film because I really wasn't caring about who was on the screen other than Jason Statham. Right, I think right, Jason right. was a standout in this. Menacing, badass, and uh, most importantly... A action, an action hero within the film for something that we is something that you really want to see him on sc- on screen as much as possible. It's captivating to watch. Absolutely, yeah, cool. absolutely, both in the action sequences and not. And uh, I mean, not to not to pigeonhole the film too much. Uh, once again, uh, where it falls short for me. As much as I give praise to the interesting format of how the story is delivered in this kind of broken up narrative that returns to one single event, there's just plain Jane, not enough time with Jason, and there's a very large cast to boot. I have no doubt that this will be a vehicle for a lot of the secondary actors to jump to other action roles and whatnot, and and that certainly from an industry perspective, that's fine. Good for them. But uh, for that reason, the film knows what you want and almost doesn't give it to you. Okay. Yeah. We're going to give Wrath of Man a 58. Okay. 58. All right. So somewhat entertaining, but not really? <laughs> I think it's entertaining. I think if you... It doesn't sound... It sounds like it was... It sounds like Statham was a joy to watch. Yes. And otherwise it was... Eh. Keeps it from falling below... 
what wouldn't wouldn't be worth your time. Okay. You know what I mean? It definitely reaches very close to above average, but it's held back in a lot of ways. Okay. Uh, so one that I'm kind of excited to hear about now, let's do Cruella. Cruella with my girl, Emma Stone. <laughs> <laughs> Why, actually, she's, she's, she's married now, I think, or she has a fiancé. But you get divorced. Emma, <laughs> give, give um, us she, a ring. She'll, she'll be giving you a ring. <laughs> so I didn't see this. I saw the trailer and mm-hmm. was actually, I was like, oh, she looks good she yeah the, like the accent was really good the mm-hmm. way she portrayed herself seemed pretty captivating to watch honestly absolutely did that carry through her uh i think yeah uh, emma thompson who who plays the the antagonist uh has definitely the vote for me of most captivating to watch on the screen but no uh emma stone does a good job as well uh i think the standout 100 percent, as i think is always the case with these live-action Disney villains. Uh, we probably have to create a lot of silos now of the type of live-action Disneys we get. Cause yeah, we get oh, very different. The normal, and then we get the remix villains ones. So this is in that vein of a Maleficent or yep. something like that. Sure. Uh, they say that, that an Ursula one is going to come out now for Little Mermaid. I think the costume design, what they've done to translate you know, animated sensibilities into real-world costumes, amazing. And for a movie about fashion, uh, a, a serious standout. Cool. Absolutely. Very cool. I think uh, a cool remix of the setting as well. Uh, it is in 1970s punk rock UK. They, they use that. Uh, very interesting in the music choice in the type of work that is done, in the type of hustling that her and what will be the henchmen, Mm -hmm. uh, her crew forming, how that comes about, all very good. Uh, However, I think the film's pacing is god-awful. Okay. (laughs) I'm shocked to see how long it was. Yeah. I don't know why. I was expecting like an hour and 40 or something like that. It's 2.15. 2.15. Yeah. Munich is is 30 minutes away from that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is a Disney. Yeah, it's a Disney film. A a lot is done to explain uh, a, a backstory that... I don't know. I don't know if the payoff is there. Uh, I think that's my first gripe with the film, that it does, unfortunately, waste your time, which is going to be something, again, for the practical outlook of how I rate a film, going to be something very important and something I hold in high regard. Is it wasting your time? And I think for the first hour, it's definitely You don't want to be taken away from a film checking your watch. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially when the film does hit a good beat around middle of the film, and it's about Cruella coming into her own. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is so dynamite. And you're asking yourself, where was this film? Where, where was this the whole time? Yeah, okay. Because it's so good. It's like, a, it's like a comic book Devil Wears Prada or something like that. It's very flamboyant. Okay. And it's, it's great. Uh, that's got to definitely go to gripe number two. And I'm going to open a can of worms on something that is a, a pet peeve for me, which is music choices that don't mean a damn. This film has a bombardment of music <laughs> on it. It moves... Not in a I, good way. I mean, well, less than 10 seconds so, sometimes until the next song. So was it used as... Because the movie's slow in 2.15, mm-hmm. when it probably... In your opinion, you would make it, what, 20 minutes shorter? 15 minutes shorter? Uh, I 15 minutes shorter, uh, be a little bit more... Uh, lean into the score uh, a lot more. So because it drags on, do they... Do they try to 
overcorrect almost, and they use music as a crutch to keep you engaged and to keep the pace up. Absolutely, and and, and they also do what I would consider cardinal sin of just they feel that they have to put this music in just to cast the setting properly, but it's just done to such a nauseating degree that like I get it, it's in. A punk rock Britain. I don't need anything else. You know what I mean? I yeah, don't okay. need three songs showing that. Especially when the music is used properly in some of the performances in the story. It's it's really done well. It's like they're using it like a knife. Absolutely. Yeah. You also see this if you do watch the film that a lot of this is front loaded in what I'm saying is kind of the boring part of the yeah. film. Yeah, okay. A lot of it is front loaded to keep it pay- uh, keep it snappy. Uh, and like I said, this is uh, I'll I'll call it a cardinal sin with me. I won't reference what is the what is the film that spawned all this. Tom knows what I'm talking about, but we'll have to leave that <laughs> for when we actually get to it. So that'll be a little bit of a, a teaser or cliffhanger. But with that said, I think it's it's a damn shame the film isn't shortened down that it doesn't recognize the magic that it achieves in the dead middle of the film, and that the front end of it is just a slog it is just a you know a, a boring boring paced film <laughs> okay. uh, <laughs> i was excited to see it right you know, it sounds like there's parts that hits um but uh, a little bit too many misses exactly and when it hits it really hits and i can't stress that enough i think almost it's it's worth a watch just to get to that middle point and when cruella is coming into her own it's it takes it, off from there it really rocks but yeah, it's it's tough otherwise than that. Uh, for that reason, in the way, even with my criticism, it's kind of you know meandering in the middle. We're gonna give Corella a forty-eight. Ooh, okay. Yep. Wow. Yep. I to be honest with you, even even with that score, not the mm-hmm. best score for sure. Mm-hmm. Out of all of these Disney remake, where you said some of these darker Disney films that are sure, coming like out, sure, like Maleficent. Not, correct. Not that there's too many of them, but. Uh, I'm most into watching this one. Sure, actually, sure. Um, and even not even just in the villain role, but in general, I was I don't know something about her presence on screen was getting me, and that was mm-hmm. just through the trailer. Yeah. But um, okay, forty eight. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow. All right. Well, and that's it, folks. That wraps up this episode, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it, uh, and we'll catch you. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Very much appreciated. Take care. Bye. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our website, become a producer. Go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. You'll get a producer mentioned on the next podcast episode, too. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors, so we greatly appreciate any support from you all. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.